Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communication Chairman David Campbell. And with me today is your MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, Vice Chairman Joe Youngerman, Strategic Planning Chairman Ronan O'Donohue, and Strategic Planning Vice Chairman Drew Coyle. Thanks for joining me. Yep. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Thanks, David. So today we want to bring you up to speed on a few issues, respond to some of the feedback we've heard over the last podcast, and reflect on the year as it comes to a close. A lot has happened, and we have a lot of ground to cover. So, Will? Thank you, David. I think, you know, obviously one of the more exciting developments that we've seen here in the last weeks has been seeing that other carriers are making progress. Um you know, in the form of a TA on a number of issues that are important to the Alaska pilots and, you know, specifically work rules issues that we've been advocating for. Um, and I would add that, you know, while I've had conversations with that particular chairman and, and details are kind of held close to the vest, I do know that they've made material progress in issues that are important to the Alaska pilots. And, you know, that's obviously a rising tide raises all boats. So that's great. Um, and I would add also that, you know, all of the chairmen, as we exchange texts and whatnot, are excited to see this progress at other carriers that, you know, as I said, no matter what, a rising tide is going to raise all boats. Uh, we've said it on previous podcasts, but, you know, one of the, the more exciting things is that we've seen this shift to kind of a focus on mutual goals and a true networking across carriers to ensure that we're working together, you know, towards a, towards a better career path for all the pilots that are involved in this industry. And, uh, I, you know, specifically one of the more exciting things about the recent deal is that it really does kind of fly in the face of that narrative that we hear so often here at Alaska that, you know, we're so small and so vulnerable and we are a niche carrier um, that, you know, carriers like us with specialized business models just can't have contracts that embrace scheduling flexibility or, you know, some of the other you know, goals that our pilots have, have set out for us. And how long have we heard this excuse? Uh, the point is the industry's maturing and that tired narrative just, it just doesn't hold water anymore. And, you know, I can tell you again that there's so much commonality across the pilot goals at each carrier. You know, as we said, going down to go um, network and talk to the pilots in the MEC at, uh, at Delta the other day. And then I know that Drew has had the opportunity to do the, the same at other carriers. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's very supportive. It's just, it's great to actually know that we're all fighting exactly the same battle. Yeah. You know what, Will, you're exactly right. But what I'm hearing is, that, you know, a different emotion than excited about seeing that happen. I'm hearing the complete opposite, complete and utter frustration from the pilots when they see another carrier, a smaller niche carrier, get a deal done. And, um, you know, our pilots are just, they're furious. You know, like what, what's going on that we just, you know, our management just can't seem to get it together. You know, it's just, it's, it's a completely different emotion, but it's, it's a very valid one. And I actually agree with the pilots. It's, it's hard to explain away that frustration because I, I don't know why we're still stuck here spinning wheels. Well, absolutely. I'm not, I'm not trying to paper over the emotions that are kind of underlying some of that. Trust me, I feel that too, that for as hard as we've worked and for as much research as we've done and for as hard as we've advocated for our pilots' goals, it is. It's incredibly frustrating to see other carriers make advancements 
when we're dealing with this intransience at the at the table and a management team that's not willing to effectively problem solve and work towards the goals of our pilots. But at the same time, I do take some comfort and some solace in the fact that that bar is, is rising and that it's obvious. It's obvious to everybody who looks at it, not just the pilots, but it's got to be to our management team at the same time that, you know, there's a new bar, there's a new goal and that it's completely sustained and supported by what we see in the industry. So you mentioned that you've been in conversation with some of the other airline unions and the pilots from from the other carriers. What's their perspective on our Section 6 campaign? That's a great question, David. Actually, you know, I, I can roll back to that um, to that conference that we went to in early November, and it was made very clear to us down in uh, the D.C., the Valo, Valo, the Valo um, Alpa offices. It was made very clear to us that other carriers are invested to make sure that this deal gets done um, as quickly and the best possible deal that we can get. So there's a commitment from many carriers. And in fact, um, I'm not going to say too much here, but um, I had a reach out there from uh, two carriers that want to meet with me in January. My, myself and Drew are heading, um, heading out to meet with a couple of folks um, to see what they can do to help us. And uh, there's there are several other outreaches going on. Actually, Drew, if you if you want to take it, there's um, you've been I know you've been working really hard on a few initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ronan. And to go back to what Will said, you know, we had the opportunity to go down to Salt Lake and meet with the Delta MEC and not only talk about our goals, but uh, where they stand. Had the same opportunity uh, just last week. Was invited to a JetBlue LEC meeting in uh, in the Los Angeles area. Which was great to see. It was it was almost like being in one of our LEC meetings where we see the pilots across the industry. The the major difference is the uniform they wear. We all have the same goals uh, across the industry. To what you're saying, um, it's it's been really good to see the outreach and support from these other groups for our processes. We are uh, looking to make progress and goals uh, become a reality for our pilots here at Alaska. Uh, we're currently working on a program and, and more details will come out soon. So I won't say too much about this, but we are working with uh, a lot of different carriers on a program that we hope to, uh, to be able to release sometime in the spring. But right now, I think we've reached out to about six or seven different alpha carriers. So lots of things. And, and I really uh, think this is a, an important part of why we're uh, members of ALPA and part of this association is we find that support from all these different groups. Yeah, thanks, Drew. That's um, you're exactly right. And you know, as things move forward here, um, as as we go into the um, turn the turn after the first of the year, as new things get rolled out, you will see other properties um, assist us. You'll see them stand with us, and um, you know, we're working on a few initiatives that are out of the box. And as those get rolled out, it will become a lot more visible that um, other carriers are supporting us. So. You know, we're, we're, we're very grateful. And to anybody who's listening out there that is helping us with these projects, I, I, I'm really grateful for your help. You know, I think that one of the most exciting pieces has been kind of this shift to an understanding that each individual carrier's fight is a communal fight, that they see merit in our contractual goals and advancing their own initiatives, and that we're all continuing to work together. And, and that part really does excite me. Yeah, it's, it's not only external, though, Will, right? It's also internal. I mean, we're having other that coffee sit that we did the three in a row there the weekend before Thanksgiving. Many other work groups were walking up to us and saying, what can I do? 
You know, that it's it's not only other carriers, but it's also other work groups within Alaska Airlines. I mean, the level of support that we've gotten has just been tremendous. And we, we plan on um, advancing that. You know, that's something that we want to, because again, scope, you know, it, it, it helps keeps job at Alaska for all of us. So it's, it's a big issue. Very, very good point, Ronan. To go into that too, Ronan and Will, I think it's important that we we kind of look at our ability too. We look forward to, to not only working with these other work groups, both uh, other carriers as well as uh, internal Alaska work groups, but we look forward to reaching out and helping them reach their goals when the time's appropriate as well. Yeah, it's been an interesting time with developments in the industry that are, are relatively encouraging and in, in getting pilots both excited about that and also frustrated with what they're seeing here. Uh, what are some other things you're getting feedback about? Yeah, we're seeing, you know, as, as most of you know, um, we put up a couple of billboards in the SeaTac area there this week. Um, they're very visible and they're very strategically placed um, to make sure they get maximum visibility. Um, so we're getting a lot of positive feedback on that one. And that's a commitment that the MEC is going to to continue with that tactic. It is a more traditional tactic, but it's definitely one that's effective. And um, it, and what we're trying to do, as you know, David, I mean, this, this firmly falls into your wheelhouse. But we're trying to continue to bring the message to a broader audience and make sure that everybody knows that um, we have issues here. And, you know, and, and it's great, actually, the level of support, not only internal, but external. You know, when people are seeing these messages, I mean, we're, I'm getting reached out to frequently now from people from other unions, from other work groups, from, um, quite frankly, passengers, uh, several people reaching out to us, offering whatever we can do to help. But if you want to talk about that, David, I know that you've got some irons in the fire in the social media stuff that that falls into you. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're exactly right. It's we're uh, this we're trying to make sure that the public understands that we have some issues with management right now that yes, we like this company, but we want to be treated like the other pilots in the industry in uh, a number of significant ways. And we're, um, have an ad campaign to make sure they know that. The overarching point here is that we all know that management goes to great pains to paper over, you know, the problems that exist here and the frustrations that exist, not just with the pilots, but with all work groups about essentially working for a discount compared to the industry. And, you know, it's just simply to bring some awareness to the general public and to other employee groups, as Ronan, you know, mentioned earlier, that everything is not just as management portrays it, right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and to put a finer point on it, I think that the the issue here is that, you know, management goes to great pains in the public you know, arena to paper over, I think, a lot of the dissatisfaction and the frustration that the employee groups here feel sometimes versus the internal narrative and the internal reality that we live. And that's simply the, the purpose of the campaign is just to raise some awareness that you can't paper over the realities that a lot of the work groups and uh, the pilots in particular for certain are frustrated at being asked to accept and work for and think that it's normal to to work at a discount compared to your peers. It also comes down to a recognition of fair play. And, you know, this is all being asked by a company that came out of the pandemic with less debt than it went into the pandemic. This is being asked by a company that has outstanding operational performance. So I, I think people look at how successful this company is financially, operationally, and then 
how they expect their employees to work harder for less. And I think anybody who understands fair play understands that that's an unreasonable ask. So going back to your original question, David, um, you're going to see more stuff roll out. I mean, obviously, we kept the billboards um, close to the vest. We, we keep all of our tactics close to the vest. And uh, there's a reason for that, of course, is, which is pretty obvious. And you will see more stuff get unveiled um, as time goes on, you know, and um, to, to increase public awareness uh, to what their struggles are here. The other thing, too, that I want to make sure that I get a plug in there for is the coffee sits that we're doing. We did those three days, an afternoon, two mornings um, there right the week before Thanksgiving. And we, it was a phenomenal turnout. We had, uh, it was just, it was incredible. And the, and the, the really, the benefit of that is the feedback that we get. You know, one of the most common questions I hear Gruner get at those coffee sets is, you know, I never get polled. I don't get called for the polling or I don't get X, Y, or Z. It's the perfect opportunity to meet with your negotiating committee, your communications committee, strategic planning, and your MEC officers and local LEC reps. And it, it, I cannot tell you how important and just how incredibly grateful it is that, you know, that we are to the people that show up. I mean, we had people come over from the training center. We had people come in from a couple of guys come in on their day off, even drove in just to meet up with us. So, you know, that's coming. We're going to be doing one the 20th in San Francisco. And that's prior to the LEC meeting. We'll set up in the terminal and make sure if you can get in there, drive in there, whatever you got to do, come out and meet with us because it's um, that sort of feedback is just, it's just so, so important. It does make a difference. Yeah, Ronan, to that point, um, if you're flying with another crew, if you're talking to your, your gate agents that are controlling your flights before you go out, have them come over. Love to have a, a cup of coffee with them as well and, and discuss what's going on here at Alaska Airlines. This this is a great opportunity for us to to branch out to, to more than just the pilots. Um, the feedback we get from these events, like you, you both said, is it's great and, and we'd love to expand on that. So if you're in the airport, uh, if you're listening to this and you're not a pilot or for the pilots that are listening to it and you're flying with crews, bring them over for a cup of coffee and, and a good conversation. Yeah, and I don't even think that that has to be necessarily a concentrated effort. We saw that at the coffee sits, right? That we had kind of organically both gate agents, flight attendants, whatnot, circling the the event, wanting to kind of duck in and have conversations with us. And that's great. I, I love that part of it. Yeah, I think all of these ways that we reach out to our fellow employees and to the public are, are really important and valuable, and it's been having a, a good effect. We've mentioned a couple times on the podcast the social media campaigns that we're doing, and just to give you a, a little report on those, they, they have been effective. In fact, in a lot of ways, um, well, we've been really pleased with the results, and the measure that I think matters a lot to me is the engagement rates. And for each of the things that we're using, whether that's Twitter or Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera, there's benchmarks for what you can normally expect people's engagement to be, meaning whether they like it or share it, what, how much time they spend looking at it. And we are in most cases um, above that threshold and in some cases twice above. So um, been really pleased with that results. Uh, the billboard, we don't have metrics like that because it's a physical object out in the real world, but we do have lots of anecdotal evidence already. People have been sending us selfies uh, with the- <laughs> That's the, exactly what I was going to say, David. Right. The fact that pilots are going out to take selfies in front of the billboard probably means that it resonates. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, if you're uh, 
in the SeaTac area, stop by and, and take a look. It, it, it's right across the street from corporate if you're looking to, uh, to find out where it is, right, right across there from the hub. Well, and don't forget Taco Bell. And Taco Bell. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, well, it's not Taco Bell, obviously, but it's more the fact that that's a major intersection adjacent to the airport right. that a lot of passengers will see as they approach and, and depart the airport. Exactly. It's it's the street where Dave's Diner used to be for those longtime Seattleites. So it's been interesting and rewarding in the last couple of days to get all of the positive feedback about the billboards that went up. The other thing that I know we've all had some feedback from regarding the last podcast was from when I read the language in the change of control agreement, more commonly known as the golden parachute agreement for some of our executives. Yeah, no, I know that that really did resonate. And again, it just points to more of a kind of a reality check about where things are that we're seeking that same security in our contract goals that they've afforded themselves. And I know that that resonated with our pilots because it really is a little bit uh, hypocritical, honestly, if we're going to call it that, that the security blanket of scope or job security, as we call it, is afforded to our management team at the same time that we're seeking it at the table. You know, I understand that. And that's the reason it resonates. Yeah, it, it really. I mean, when I read it, that's what I thought. It's it's the, frankly, lack of respect of the work that we do. You know, we've committed our professional careers to this company, and we would like to have a sense that they have the same commitment to us. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the point, is that those change of control agreements, because of the way that seniority works, obviously, and we've talked about, you know, the decision to commit to your career here at this airline is very different for a pilot than for a lot of other work groups, but certainly for management, we couldn't even recreate in three years the security blanket that they have, even if we had something similar, right? You couldn't start over at another carrier in a lot of cases for many, many of our pilots and have that exact same quality of life or standard of living that they now have a, a, a guarantee of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's really not security for them. It's a bonus. Well, that's right. It goes back to the whole fair play issue. You know, we as pilots live in a secure, uh, seniority-based world, you know, and this is why job protections are so important. It's not, you know, the average upper management type is going to do just fine in a takeover situation. They can easily move on and usually do to some other company in a similar type role. And, and uh, you know, that's not how it works for pilots. You know, you, you switch carriers, assuming you're able to switch carriers, you go back to the bottom and essentially start over again. And I just think it's pretty outrageous for them to take care of themselves who are less vulnerable and tell us, the professionals that make this airline run every day, you don't, you don't deserve these protections. You're not worthy of this. I mean, anybody who understands fair play understands that that's just wrong. You know, that's a great point, Joe. But I mean, the one thing I can honestly say that I, I wanna bring up here again from being at the last coffee set is work rules, work rules, work rules. We talk an awful lot about scope, but that's very much on the forefront of pilots' minds as well. It's um, especially with the agreement we just saw this week and the gains that were made on a much smaller property. And, um, you know, that's that's the one, that's the drumbeat that I hear over and over again, reserve and work rules. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, those coffee sits are invaluable for that for that point. And because, you know, you can, you can look at surveys 
read statistics, but you don't get the emotion that people have out there. There's a reason that a lot of this stuff really resonates with the pilots, and it's not just scope. It's quality of life issues that they're dealing with every day, every week, in and day in and day out. And I know even, you know, the reserves are just literally being abused. And that word gets out and, and people look at that and say, I, I don't want to get into that. You know, guys that are close to upgrade or, you know, have to make a decision whether they want career advancement or being able to see their family. And we've got, how many, how many guys we have passing upgrade right now, Ron? Um, the last count that I did, it was active pilots. It was about 550 have, have actually yeah. bypassed. And those are, you know, it's easy. It's 550, that's a big number for an airline our size. And there's, and there's a reason behind it. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that people have to make that choice. That's money they're not making. It's career advancement they're not. It's job satisfaction they're not enjoying. Let's face it. It's, you know, it's great to be in the left seat and fly with your favorite captain every day. You know, but it's money that you don't make. It's money that doesn't go into your 401k, that doesn't go towards your kid's uh, college tuition. It's just extremely unfortunate that our reserve system is one of the worst in the industry. You know, you look over at someplace like Southwest where it, actually people that don't even have to be on reserve bid it, you know, with 15 days off a month and a 90 hour guarantee and so on. You know, it's a it's a vastly different situation. We're not some struggling tiny carrier that can't afford to treat reserves like human beings. We have the ability to do that. All that's been lacking to approve the reserve system here at Alaska Airlines is the will to do it by the company. And there's there people can only stretch so far. And I, you know, I think we're beyond that limit. We're hearing that loud and clear from pilots at these coffee sits. And we we hear you and we understand and we agree with you. Well, and I think, Joe, I'll, I mean, I don't want to necessarily rabbit hole on a lot of the frustrations because we all know they're there. But I had an hour and 10 minute phone call the other day with one of our very senior first officers um, who is in the same position as his wife, also a pilot here, who has the ability to upgrade and has made that conscious decision for quality of life not to do so, citing very specifically the quality of life that he witnesses when he flies with reserve captains. Uh, these junior reserve captains and the fact that they are basically flying, well, they're crediting out 105 hours of credit to end up at monthly max plus five and be parked. But that's really 105 hours worth of flying because of the number of deadheads that they've done as he sat and waited five hours for them to send a reserve captain down to cover his portion of the trip. And he was very clear that they've had conversations at home about the fact that they just cannot make that jump. They'd rather take the financial sacrifice and the focus on their children and family in order to you know, have the quality of life that they absolutely need rather than the financial security that they deserve. And that part is just incredibly frustrating. Now, if I was management and they have the same numbers that we do, I would look at that and I'd be a little bit scared because what you're seeing there, in my humble opinion, is the delta between Pilots who are focused on this as a career airline where they're going to come and spend their lives versus those who've said, I'm willing to, just like a, you know, a regional airline, suck it up, endure, get the type, get my time, and get out. The stepping stone airline thing that we articulated in the videos. That's our worst fear. We as pilots want to work for an airline with 
people beside us that have all invested our careers here, not as a transient piece of their, their career path. You're exactly right, Will. And not only that, but you've got a reluctancy. Look at it differently. We, we talk a lot about captains on reserve, but look at it like it's a reluctance to fill the seat. And that applies to both seats. You know, if first officers are seeing it here that, man, it's pretty rough. You know, with the work rules and the reserve rules, it's pretty rough to come here. I, I worry about that because this is an airline I want to see succeed. You know, but if they don't get the contract straightened out and get Section 6 done, I do worry about their ability not only to fill left seats, but to fill right seats. Well, and and not only to fill those seats, but to keep people in those seats. You know, if I'm if I'm a first officer and I'm looking across the industry and how fast I can upgrade at another carrier, and even if I'm sitting reserve, I have a livable reserve system versus Alaska, where upgrade is not certainly not leading the you know the, the industry as far as rapidity. Uh, you also have to factor in reserve, and and if it's if it's a horrible reserve system, upgrade might be three four years, but you might say, well, I'm going to need. I'm going to need six years to be, you know, to have a schedule I can live with. So now you're, if for your own calculating, you're looking at six years to upgrade where you might be able to go somewhere else and be in the left seat in less than a year and, and have a reserve system you can live with. I mean, it's, there's nothing good about it. There's nothing good about it. Nothing good about it from, a, you know, attracting pilot standpoint to a keeping pilot standpoint. And even for those who stay, you're making people very angry about the place they work. And, you know, we talk about upgrades, but that that's also important for new hires. You bring somebody in, they're new to the company, they probably come in excited about the job, and you just basically kill them with a thousand tiny cuts of the reserve system here. Uh, and it, it changes their opinion. And a lot of them say to themselves, I, I just, I don't know if this is a place I wanna work. I, we all talk to our friends, we know what things are like at other carriers, and they're not good here. Yeah, it's that lack of control over your life. I mean, we hear that time and time again. I think, you know, data is what drives a lot of things as far as management's decisions around here, right? And the question that I get on a regular basis is really what does attrition look like? And of course, we track that and we've mentioned it many times on these podcasts that we do the exit interviews. And so we obviously know the reasons, but, you know, we're pushing 50 pilots for the year, which surpasses anything we've seen since the what we marked as the the record attrition of 2019 and that can be downplayed and and management can say well we baked that into our assumptions which again is is sad that they're willing to accept that as a you know a kind of a risk of their business model but the reality is when we see like these new hire classes come into the alpa sponsored day where we talk to them about what it's like to work here and work rules and and give them Alpa resources that they have available to them. You know, it's all part of their new hire footprint. But when we see people literally like empty seats because they quit the day before, this isn't hyperbole. This is happening. And it's something that should give all of us who have invested our careers here a great pause. Totally agree. And what's all the more sad about it is this is not a company that's struggling. Uh, this is a company that can afford to do better and just chooses not to. Well, we've just talked about a lot of the frustrations pilots are having out on the line that, that affect almost anyone here at this company. But we're seeing the same thing from the work of the active union volunteers as well. And maybe, Will, you can talk about that. Yeah, I, I certainly don't want to pivot the conversation too sharply away from what we know is important, which is the priorities of the pilots. But I think when we see that 
hear internally how hard we're having to work these days on the various committee levels, that that also has has a lot to be read into it. You know, contract compliance is so, so busy. And I think that if you were to turn around and read the latest scheduling update, which I hope that all the pilots would, you'll see that, you know, we fight a number of battles every month that once again in January, the, the company failed to engage in the pairing selection process and they chose to go with the company solution even though our solution was more cost efficient, you know, uh, I find that problematic, especially because I know how hard our scheduling volunteers work to prioritize fatigue and quality of life, right? Um, then on another battle, you know, the, the company's chosen to restrict our volunteers, the number of volunteers who can have access to crew access and taking back a number of the computers that we had available to that committee. You know, these these volunteers do research to support the scheduling committee and to protect the CBA and grievance research. And, you know, that's obviously a frustration, but it, it's something that we fight in here on a daily basis. Uh, well, I mean, we could go on forever. Military affairs, FOQA, training, safety. You know, these committees are all busier than they've ever been basically protecting the CBA. Yeah, you know, the company on one hand, doesn't want to give us anything with regards to improvements for our pilot group, yet at the same time, uh, almost in the same breath, comes to us and says they need relief from this or that for growth or to accomplish training or what have you. It's just, it's really tone deaf, you know, to turn us down for things that are, it, it, but, you know, again, it's it's the same old story. We need you to fix our problems. We're not remotely interested in fixing any of yours. It's 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 really infuriating and, and sadly it's nothing new. And Joe, I kinda wanna put a point on that. We openly expressed a little bit of skepticism about the growth and the business plan not having a lot of slack or flex in it and their ability to execute within the current CBA. You know, that they have growth constraints and that they're approaching us needing relief from the current CBA in some fashion is again very telling and something that we foresaw. But I think the the real point is, is that the MEC has just been very consistent on this, that we have issues that need to be addressed and they may have issues that need to be addressed, but they need to be part of a comprehensive agreement, not ad hoc approaches to us seeking relief when the pilots have priorities that are so clearly on the table and need to be need to be addressed. Exactly. You know, and that's that's how Chris and the negotiating committee approach the company in a, in a problem solving kind of way. But as usual, the company is really has no interest in our, our problems and expects us to have interest in theirs. And that's just not how life works. Just to be clear, even though we're in the national mediation board mediation process, they have the ability to come meet with us anytime they want. There's no constraints about that, right? Yes, obviously we're, we're absolutely willing to engage at any time to address the pilot's concerns and priorities. We always have been. And I think that, again, this mediation tactic that they've employed just buys them altitude and airspeed to continue to have a, a labor arbitrage. And so they reap that benefit. And at the same time, what we just talked about, the misery index, if you will, continues to rise. Yeah. And maybe I'll ask it this way, Will. We, we as in ALPA, we don't mind that we're in uh, the mediation process with the National Mediation Board. The issue is having a management that's willing to engage with us to solve problems for the pilots. 
that's been the ongoing issue. We've 100% been willing to solve problems here at the table, but it just, again, one of these things that I say all the time, we've done our homework. We're confident in our positions and how they impact the company. And, you know, the company at the same time doesn't seem to be willing to engage us on industry standard, proven, tested solutions. So what else do you read into that other than the fact that they enjoy the delay? It's for their benefit. And as we just pointed out, the misery index, if we will, continues to rise. Well, and it's it's just dis- disingenuous. You know, they, they talk about, well, we, you know, in their emails to the pilots that, uh, well, and even chief pilot calls that, uh, yeah, we're going into mediation to get things done and, and reach an agreement. And that's not why they're going into mediation. They're going into mediation to stall the process. Because whether there's a mediator in the room or not, if you're not showing up, uh, with the realization of, of where things are and an understanding that there are things that need to be improved, we're not getting anywhere. You know, until they get serious about all of that, you know, mediators not going to make move the needle. Will, as long as we've been chatting about mediation, let's talk about that with a little more detail. What's in the near future? Well, obviously, next week is the first meeting with Mike Tosi, our federal mediator who's been assigned to the case. And, you know, it's largely anticipated that this initial meeting, we've said it before, but we'll say it again, is going to be devoted to providing background information, administrative items, scheduling time in the future to continue to address issues. Um, So I don't know that we'll have a ton to report out of this meeting, but we will certainly report, obviously. Um, We know that if you're like looking at the, the year ahead, the company is going to continue to focus on growth. Uh, you know, looking through the plans, they're going to take delivery of 31 maxes, and as we've already noted, they're aggressively hiring. Right um, here at the MEC level, we'll meet in January to continue to refine our proposals, guide the negotiating committee. Uh, you know, in advance of what we think and hope will be a regular cadence of mediation sessions. And, uh, you know, in Ronan's wheelhouse, the outreach events are going to continue. That pilot feedback is just so critical. And as we just said, apparently we're going to spend our lives defending the contract. Thank you, Will. It's good to know what's coming up in the near future. And so as long as we're speaking on a time sequence, let's talk about some of the things that we've achieved in the past. In particular, the EIL program, I think, is really important. And, and it's worth noting that the company was going down a path that would have led to furlough. And and in fact, we were only three hours away from them pulling the trigger on a furlough. And through Alpa's effort, we were able to turn that around. Yeah, I, I feel like we have to say that too many times sometimes too, but we, we hear the narrative misappropriated you know, when pilots approach us at these coffee sits. And so it probably bears the discussion you know, a little bit more in detail about that and how it would have impacted this airline. Well, and, you know, I think it's another opportunity to make the point that this company, if they want to, they do have the ability to negotiate. And we saw that with the EIL. They recognized a problem and we brought a solution that they could work with us on. Exactly. I mean, the template for success is there. Right. To identify the problem and to put down all of your pencils and mutually problem solve and understand the perspectives of each party and move forward. And, you know, we're interested in that, obviously, from the perspective of the pilots and what the pilots needs are. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the form of the the EIL program, I mean, honestly, it was something that mutually benefited both parties. And that's why we were willing to engage. 
And that's why they were willing to engage. And I think that that's the exact same thing that we've said time and time and time again, is that these priorities that we're advancing for the pilots are also mutually beneficial to the company, and they want to characterize them simply as risks. Yeah, and I think that's the distinction, you know, that with the EIL and REIL programs, they they were anxious to find a solution because they had, uh, they obviously saw risk. And I really don't think they were all that interested in, in it being a win for us as they were just primarily concerned about a loss for them. And uh, they saw our solution as one that would uh, would fix their problem. Oh yeah, and by the way, it, it, it fixed ours as well. But, uh, you know, as we always see, they, they're only really willing to engage when they see risk for them or a problem for them or a cost for them. And our needs are, I, I wouldn't even call them secondary, just not important. Well, it's also luck, Joe. I mean, that the benefit of the, the program for them um, with, with their ability to recover, they're back up right. and running and right. they're doing new hire and transition training right now. So they are they are up and running. Had it have been a bump and flush furlough, it would have been a complete disaster. Right. Trying to get people recalled and recalled in different seats, and you know this this program it is hopefully the template industry wide going forward. You know, if we never have to furlough another pilot, that would be a huge win. That's very true, Ronan, and and they recognize the benefit of it, the savings from it. Uh, they've admitted it. They've talked about it, and yet. And this is really, I'm honestly just the outrageous part after saving them tens of millions of dollars and all kinds of operational issues uh, being avoided. They turn around and tell us that, they're, well, yeah, you guys have problems. There's nothing we can do about it. And sec in fact, some are non-negotiable. We won't even talk to you about them. You know, it's just, it again, back to fair play. I don't know anybody who looks at that and thinks, yeah, okay, that's okay. That's that's a That's a good way to act. That's a good way to behave. It's not. And I want to take just a second, though, to kind of rewind the clock, if you will, just a tiny bit on that, that the whole reason that we were motivated to seek a solution and, you know, get a voice at the 11th hour and 55th minute was because of the risk to the pilots. I mean, that was the focus, that a furlough was a horrible risk to our pilots, not just the company. It sounds like we're focusing maybe too much on that, and I don't want to. Having been furloughed and having been the furlough coordinator for our 106 pilots, that path is not just horrible for the company in terms of its recovery and where we would be today. I mean, can you imagine if we were still going through the recall process to try and recover from the pandemic? But it's more so the, the personal toll that it would have taken on our pilot group and knowing that those pilots, however many there may have been, were clearly in the gun sites that was the focus of this MEC. And, you know, maybe this is an opportunity to kind of take a look back at, you know, the some of the accomplishments over the last year. I realize that predates a year, but but that was the focus of this group. And that's also the focus of this group as we move forward in negotiations. We're like looking at pilot priorities and pilot needs and trying to find the best outcome for the pilots. And we just happened to find one that also was a better path forward for the company. Well, right. And that was our focus, was our pilots. And and that's kind of my point. It's the only reason they were interested in our pro problem was when we were able to show them that they would also benefit as well. 
you know, as, as far as their interest in our pilot problem, there wasn't much until we could show them that it was, a, you know, there was a win for them as well. And uh, that's, that's kind of sobering. But yeah, I totally agree. We were laser focused on taking care of our group. And I know, Will, you've been furloughed. I've been furloughed. It's, it's a very traumatic and challenging thing to go through. And, and we don't want to see any of our pilots end up there. And perhaps the most frustrating part is that the people who are doing the biggest victory dance on the success of that program were not the same minds that, that gave it legs, right? And, and unfortunately, that's the same group that we're currently trying to work with in negotiations. It was other people in very senior management who saw the perspective and the merits of problem solving and open-minded thinking. And, you know, maybe that's why we're where we are today. Will, what are you hearing from pilots as the EIL program draws to a close? I think pilots would look at elements of that program and say that this year, which was marked by the recall of our pilots from EIL, um, as being a little bit of a point of frustration. And again, we had to fight hard on a regular basis you know, with regular tie-ins with management to make sure that that process got better and better as the year went on. But I think overarchingly, you know, the program itself was a far better, better outcome. Um, continuing that focus a little bit on our accomplishments for the year, uh, you know, I've, I've talked enough. I think I'd rather let Joe or, you know, Ronan pick up uh, a little bit of some of the, the work that we've done in particular with San Fran. Yeah, I think that's, you know, San Francisco was a point of concern for that group and, and for us as well. There was a lot of question as to whether that, base would continue or not. And of course, we know how devastating it is when a crew base closed. We watched it happen with uh, JFK after the uh, Virgin America acquisition. It was a lot of effort put in by our scheduling folks, Scott Rubin, Jim Tedford. Uh, Ronan was very involved. And, uh, you know, we basically had to demonstrate to the company that they'd be making a mistake to close that base, to close that that focus of operation. And, and uh, in the end, we were successful in doing that and made a good business case for keeping it open. And thus far, that continues to be the plan. And in fact, you even see here in recent days, the company's been crowing about their uh, their expansion out of San Francisco and their desire to grow that market. So we consider that a big success. Yeah, that was a good productive meeting. And as I recall, you know, the details, it was a lot of our input that really made the difference. And you already cited the relevant parties uh, you know, as we were all there kind of adding perspective, I think, to where the company wanted to go. And we not only advocated for the pilots in that base, but we also tried to paint a picture that as the company continues to transition the Airbus fleet, you know, a better path forward so that pilots have better options and system bids, fewer displacements, and, and some of the other things that the company candidly wanted to explore as they, they migrate equipment and bases and things like that. Yeah. And we were even, you know, our input was solicited with regards to being successful in uh, in California. And we certainly made the case that you, you, you can't win the game if you're not on the field. And San Francisco is a key part of that. It's a big market in, the, in California and uh, you've got to be there. You've got to have a presence and it's got to be significant. And uh, to close that base would have been a big mistake if they want to be successful in California. Yeah, having sat in those meetings, I definitely, and thanks for mentioning them. There's also Jake Woods as well, um, Scott Rubin, Jim Tedford. They were just phenomenal. Um, they they really did roll their shirt sleeves up and 
you know, it made it, it made it pretty much hard for the company to close that base. There was no way they could justify it. So, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to that because I've got a lot of friends down there in San Francisco. Yeah. And I'm based there and, and have been based there since my start at, at Virgin and, and, uh, you know, I know oh, there's a lot of folks that live in the Bay Area and, and they've made their homes there. Their families are there. Their kids are in school. And, you know, it's one thing if there's a business case that that's undeniable to, to close a crew base. But it's so obvious that San Francisco has just been a huge mistake to do that. And uh, I think you see in, in, in what's going on now that uh, the company has found that to be true. That was certainly an accomplishment, and I realize we don't have Chris Gruner on the podcast today, so I guess I get to carry his water a little bit while we kind of sing the praises of some of the the committee volunteers. But you know, one of the other things we did in this last year was successfully pivot our negotiations from dealing with COVID issues and making sure, again, that we refocused on Section Six, that our our goals, the pilots' goals, were front and center. Um, I know we noted a year ago that we saw the landscape coming out of some of the darkest COVID days. And we knew from our ENFA briefings and our own instincts that it was time to focus forward. And it's not just us. You can see the same storyline play out at American and Southwest as well, that the companies had a great deal of hesitation in embracing what we saw as the landscape ahead. And I would say that the, the efforts of the negotiating committee need to be highlighted here because they were a large part of transitioning from kind of that dark days focus to more of what we knew we needed to do and return to pilot priorities and get back to the table. So, you know, the pilot, the company put off pilot priorities for too long, and I want to make sure that they're noted in this last year, if we're looking back, for their efforts in, in making that refocus happen. Well, and throughout the year, we had a number of unique outreaches to our pilots and their families. Uh, Drew, you were front and center on those. You want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely, David. The, uh, the COVID dynamic that was created as far as pilot outreach had, had changed quite a bit from what we had done previously. The, the ability to get out in front of pilots um, virtually didn't exist on a lot of our, our West Coast domiciles. So we were able to exercise the RV and get it out to uh, 19 different cities on the West Coast. Uh, I think it was 25 separate barbecue events that we had to get out in front of the pilots. And I think that outreach was uh, critical and it was it was needed. Uh, as Will said, we had seen the negotiating committee circle back towards uh, Section 6 and the priorities the pilots have given us uh, in that front. So for us to be able to get out in front of the pilots in so many different cities and the bases that they work in and the cities that they live in was, was really paramount to the success we've seen. The pilot unity that's grown out of those events has been really tremendous. So one of the, the highlights for sure of uh, 2021. Yeah, and don't forget, Drew, I mean, during this, on the tail end of the pandemic there, we stood up a family awareness committee too. Lisa Bucker got that up and running and we're doing some pretty innovative stuff there. So kudos to that committee because that, that was a big part of the um, the Outreach to West Coast Cookout Tour. So I just want to make sure that that gets a mention in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the work that uh, the Family Outreach Committee was doing prior to the West Coast Cookout Tour is... Uh, was kind of innovative as well, utilizing um, digital platforms like Zoom to, to reach out to families. And I know there's a lot more of that to come too. We, we've briefly touched on that and uh, we, we look forward to seeing more of that coming out of the Family Outreach Committee as well. 
you know, one small piece also as we kind of talk about this pivot from recovery from COVID focus to the actual recovery was crew meals. I mean, honestly, that was an accomplishment over the last year to finally upgrade the quality of the meals to something that the pilots have needed for a very, very long time. And, you know, accolades to our crew meal committee for their tireless efforts on this. And Scott Mokas, who had the oversight of that committee, that has been truly pushing uh, a string uphill to get that accomplished. Joe, your oversight of grievance, and I, I think one of a, a major event was the break release arbitration. Can you talk about that? Yeah, you're right, David. The uh, grievance committee has has been very busy, unfortunately, busier than we should be with a lot of the same issues that, that keep surfacing. But we did have a an important uh, victory in the, in the form of a, a grievance arbitration judgment, and that had to do with the uh, break release issue, which had been subject to ATC clearance to push, which you know was a change that was made that was uh, not proper, and uh, we were able to get that get that fixed. We had some difficulty with the company even after the judgment was awarded to comply with that judgment, but we continued to to insist that that be uh, properly resolved, and, and it has. And we were really glad this this grievance had been outstanding for a considerable period of time. So we were happy, happy to see that come to fruition. And the safety committee is, is always a busy committee doing lots of work. Will, what can you give us a, a rundown of that over the year? Yeah, certainly never more so than during COVID has the safety committee been busy. And I think that we need to take note of the fact that this is kind of a joint oversight, neither of whom are on the the podcast today, but both Garen has oversight of safety and Scott Mokas stood up and managed largely the COVID task force, you know, throughout the pandemic. And the work that that these individuals did with Brian Moynihan's team in terms of, you know, looking at training in the sims and our training protocols and making sure that they were safe for the pilots, advocating tirelessly about adherence to CDC guidance as we navigated the pandemic and continuing to do audits and, you know, of of the best practices that were put forth to ensure that safety was always in the the forefront. Um, In a lot of cases, you know, this team, the COVID task force, and certainly Brian's team were well ahead of the company in like seeing the threat and advocating solutions before they became problems. And so I certainly want to highlight their their tireless work. Well, under the umbrella of safety is a completely independent committee, which is our focal committee. And when you talk about Alvin Orozco and his team and Chris Martin in particular, some of their tireless work this last year in identifying potential data streams and threats to the privacy of this pilot group and protecting you know, the pilots overall, I mean, that that is an element of our safety, our job security. And I definitely want to make sure that their efforts are, are noted as well. Will, a, a committee that touches essentially every pilot here is scheduling. What what uh, what has their year been like? <laughs> don't don't trigger me, David. This is a committee that I have oversight with. And I cannot tell you how valuable Scott Rubin, Jake Woods, Jim Tedford are to this this pilot group. Um you know, their tireless work to improve schedules is just, it's day in, day out, month in, month out. But I guess since we're focused on a year here, um, you know, I would just highlight the fact that they fought off a unilateral attempt by the company to, to change the historical optimizer settings that we use in building our schedules. And that would have truly changed the schedules that we do fly in in the spirit of increased productivity at the expense of 
quality of life in a lot of ways, but also their underlying focus, which is always fatigue and safety. Um, you know, they're working day in and day out to constantly incorporate safety and fatigue measures into those pairings that they build um, that, you know, we, we recognize from fatigue reports. And I would just, again, stress to pilots, fatigue reports, I realize that filling them out is not necessarily a lot of fun, but that data helps. It just helps immensely. So if you have a moment and if you experience fatigue, make sure that that's noted, make sure that that's highlighted. And if it rises to a level of safety and concern, make sure that you do fill out an ASAP as well. You know, I think that that team works so, so hard to protect the integrity of our schedules. And, uh, you know, obviously we all feel it. And again, re reach back into the scheduling updates that Scott and his team spend time putting together every month. I think there's a lot to be learned from those, not just like this month with pairing selection process, but just to highlight some of the concerns that they have and some of the work that they do, because that committee, in terms of my daily workload, is probably the, the greatest. And I'm just very, very thankful that we've got such a good group of volunteers. Yeah, well, I'll second that. There are a lot of unsung heroes on that committee. The, they are brilliant, and the work they're doing is long, tedious, and hard work that doesn't necessarily get seen, I think. So a uh, real shout out, and I'll concur, if you haven't read that scheduling update, there's a lot of really interesting information packed right. in there. And as we've said time and time again, it may not get seen, but it is certainly felt. Absolutely. Yep. Joe, another big thing that occurred was the payroll support program. Can you flesh that out for us a bit? Sure. Obviously, that was a, a game-changing event in this this downturn uh, was brought on by COVID. You know, it, it's the industry typically sees downturns about every 10 years or so. And, and uh, usually it re results in, in pilot layoffs and bankruptcies and all kinds of bad things that uh, we've seen throughout the history of the uh, airline industry. What really was different this time was, you know, with the payroll support program was the government uh, basically uh, assisting the airlines and, and making payroll for, for crews that allowed them to keep them on property to develop leave programs, to do all sorts of innovative things that kept pilots from, from being furloughed, from losing their jobs. And this was a huge lift by the Alpha, Alpha government affairs team. But also, you know, what can't be discounted is the support that they got from thousands of Alpha pilots and their call to, calls to action and being involved and, and advocating that this program uh, be accepted. And uh, it, it's, you know, having been in this industry for decades, it's just, it's hard to overstate how important this was, what a win this was for airline employees compared to how things have gone in the past. It's, it's you know, it's what's made this industry so difficult is these downturns where you People lose their jobs and lives, lives get reset. And, and this really avoided that to a large extent. So certainly a, a huge win. And one final thing to talk about is the dues refund that, that we were able to accomplish. Ronan, and you had some involvement in that. Um, maybe you can remind everybody what, yeah. what went down. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, I mean, don't forget a couple of months ago that Anybody who was on property, I think it was the year 2017, got a dues refund. And that went that went out and was mailed out to each one of the pilots. But one of the things that's really worth noting and discussing on that one is basically 
you know, the MEC has been incredibly cost conscious. You know, we've had, we are, are very aware that money is vital to protecting the current CBA and allowing us to conduct campaigns to enhance public awareness like the current campaign. But we've done so, we've budgeted and we've made sure that that money is there. And, and while doing that, we were also in the position where we were so fiscally responsible that we were in a spot where we could refund it. And that actually felt really good this year. So um, I don't want people to be concerned. We have plenty and we're in, we're in solid financial shape to uh, continue down this current path and to um, make sure that the current campaign is funded. And we have commitments too from national that as this campaign continues on, that it will remain funded. But that's definitely something I was very, very proud of. Will, as, uh, I think that covers most of the big uh, items that happened recently, you want to just close us out again? Yeah, thank you, David. I think as I kind of reflect, we're talking, we're looking back, we're looking forward. But I remember this time last year, and as we emerged from the pandemic, um, and granted, it's occurred in fits and starts, you know, but what I want to focus on is negotiations in the contract. And that was, that's been our focus as we've emerged from the pandemic. Um, I am proud of the work that we've done as a union in protecting pilots, but, you know, knowing that as the companies recovered, we needed to participate meaningfully in that recovery. And again, shift the, the focus back. That's been a lot of what this year has been to pilot priorities and negotiations. And, and again, I don't want to focus too much on the past because what's important isn't last year or the year before it's, it's the year ahead. And I will resolve to you that we're going to continue to defend this contract. We've heard you. And again, we're fighting to resolve the grievances that have been filed and the day-to-day -day issues that you report to the reps. You know, we, we know the company's pushing the limits on this contract and violating it are the last things that we want you to experience while you're out flying the line. Um, we know it's hard on the line these days. I think we talked extensively about that and do appreciate the support that this MEC has experienced. Um, it's worth pointing out that this isn't just from reports or you know, 30K views, that we're all out there flying with you guys. And one of the directives that I've had as an MEC chairman is that all of the MEC officers and the volunteers are out frequently flying so that we have that same pulse. We have that same pain, if you will, that gets felt by the average line pilot. And maybe one thing that I want to note is we've kind of recapped a lot of what's happened and some of the work of our committee volunteers is that I think as a pilot group, we really do get a lot of value for those those unity dollars, if you will, for the unity investment of this pilot group is more precisely what I'm trying to say that, you know, we may have recapped a lot of things today, but it's very true that it's the unity support for the committee work. It's the unity support for this MEC by the pilots that that gets us there. We get there because of that type of support. And, you know, we all know we all know that the real solution is a CBA not triaging like we keep talking about, you know, in this day-to-day -day battle, but especially as the company continues to emerge from the pandemic and, you know, at the same time dial back to bare minimum that they're obligated to do per the CBA, the real solution is to address pilot priorities and needs and, and move forward with a comprehensive agreement. You know, despite claiming that the, the company's doing the right thing all the time, I think that we all experience and know something very, very different. As we always say, I want to thank the pilot group for their ongoing professionalism. You are the reason that we've succeeded through 
the pandemic. You are the reason that we succeeded through the merger. And you're most recently the reason that we succeeded through Thanksgiving. You know, stick with that professionalism and that unity. And that's how we'll get there moving forward. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to the rest of you for coming in today. And I'd like to thank our listeners and especially all of our pilots. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. 